Hi everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wild, a podcast about film, always counting down to this year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rokraut. And today we have a very big episode in our Oscar Contender series. We will be talking about all four acting categories, lead and supporting. I can't wait to talk about these performances, the highs and the lows. But before we get into that, we did get some related Oscar news. So there will be a brand new category for achievement in casting. This will start in 2026 for the films of 2025. What did you think of this bit of news? I guess I was just confused of it coming about. I did. I hadn't heard anything beforehand of anyone pushing for this recently. It just kind of came out of the blue. And I was like, okay, are we going to keep seeing this? I wonder if we'll get more categories in the future. What did you think about it? I'm really excited about it. I feel like so many of the films that we have, I mean, they would not be successful without the work of casting directors and their teams. I am also all for the Academy adding additional categories, especially if they're actually celebrating the filmmaking process. You know, none of this Mm -hmm. best popular film. We don't need that. Like that's, that's not what I mean, but something like casting, that's exciting because then hopefully maybe in the future we can get something like best first feature or best stunts. There are so many options that they need to go with. So I think this is a really welcome addition. What confuses me, or I guess what I'm excited to see in a way, is I think that the casting branch will know how to vote for this, but I wonder how the full membership will interpret this. Like, will they just look at it like they do with SAG Ensemble? Will it just be for the biggest cast? Will it just kind of always correspond with best picture or with our acting winners. Mm. So that's definitely something we'll have to monitor. But I have to say, it's going to be really fun when we see people try to figure out how to predict this category and truly no one will know. Right. And that was my thought about it too. But it will be interesting to hear from casting directors. That's not something we see usually during award season or in interviews, anything leading up to the Oscars. And it is a really important quality to the movie making experience. So I think hearing from them will be the coolest part of this and in starting to understand what they do. And I think how crucial they are really at the beginning when the movie is just starting to come together. And then hearing about fun stories, I think of like bringing on actors or seeing if people wait till others come on board. We hear some of those stories and that's kind of the fun part of it to me. I completely agree. When I went to a Q&A last weekend that I'll talk about when we talk about Robert De Niro in Supporting Actor, Ellen Lewis, the casting director for the film, was there. And it was so interesting to hear from her because she's worked with Scorsese for a really long time. And she just had so much insight into that process, into casting and figuring out schedules and working with people like De Niro, who have worked with Scorsese for years also, but then also working with local casting and casting all of those Osage actors. That's a huge undertaking too. So I agree. I can't wait to dive into this category in a few years, but let's get into our categories today. Categories that casting directors have a hand in. Yeah, definitely. So starting with supporting actor, our precursors here, we have SAG. That ceremony is on February 24th. 
BAFTA, which is coming on the 18th of February, and then the Globes will mention who won along the way and other critics groups. So our Oscar nominees are Sterling K. Brown, Ryan Gosling, Robert De Niro, Robert Downey Jr., and Mark Ruffalo. So starting off with Sterling K. Brown for American Fiction, this is his first Oscar nomination, which is really exciting. He plays Cliff Ellison in American Fiction, so he's Monk's brother. What do you think of Sterling K. Brown in American Fiction? And something we haven't mentioned, but specifically for the acting categories, we'll be going through and listing what we think could be or what we think should be their Oscar scene that they show during the ceremony. I think they just came back with this last year. Is that right? Yeah, when they don't do clips at award ceremonies, I get so sad. Like, I'm all Mm -hmm. for just making the Oscars longer, showing clips, doing montages, everything like that. But the Oscar scene for an actor, like when the nominations come up, it's so exciting because you can't wait to hear who wins, but you also are just excited to, I don't know, see what they pick and relive that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they do, like I know in the past, like recent years, they haven't done a specific scene, but they've almost done like, it's a little mini montage of a few Mm -hmm. clips. And I strongly prefer when it's just one scene. Yeah, I love the scene. I guess they've just been changing it up. I forget from year to year, but it's also fun when we do this and then we see that happen at the Oscars, we're like, oh my God, we, they chose what we picked, yeah. which is fun. But back to Sterling K. Brown, I think what he's bringing here, he's very charismatic and that has come through in This Is Us. I think that's his like biggest role outside of this. And I think as Monk's brother, he brings out a side to Monk that we wouldn't otherwise see. He's a little combative, but he's also dealing with this huge trauma and getting to speak his truth to Monk, I think was important in developing a relationship that connected with audiences. And that would be my scene too, is when he's speaking to Monk later in the film during the wedding. And he's talking about not having been able to come out to his dad because he passed away and holding on to that guilt throughout his life. And That is really what we're seeing in the film is him struggling and not really knowing how to live as a gay man. So I think it's a tender moment that this film dives into multiple times. And this is one of them that I like from the film. He needs an all of us strangers type experience. That's what I kept thinking of during my rewatch of that scene in particular, (laughs) um, because that's also my Oscar scene, which... I'll elaborate a bit more in a second, but yeah, I love Sterling K. Brown. I feel like he's such a charismatic actor. He started as a stage actor and went into TV, and I love how... So he was on Hot Ones recently, and he described that when he was growing up, and specifically when he did Godspell, and he was just in the chorus, but when he did that, he felt a high from acting that felt similar to him to when he played sports growing up, but he didn't get hurt while doing it like he did during football. And he just felt like he wanted to keep doing that and keep chasing what that felt like. And he also talks about how he's been wanting to change up the types of roles that he gets. He never wants to do the same thing twice. And I feel like this role here is a good combination of, it has an emotional quality to it that I think is similar to This Is Us, just in the way that it's explored in the script. 
but he also talks about how he grew up in the suburbs of St. Louis, and he said it felt good to see something similar to the way that he grew up. So thinking of not the satirical part of the film, but the family drama and how that type of story isn't always explored in films with black characters. So it's interesting to hear from him on why this role was important to him. And I do think he has a few scenes in the movie where he does really shine and turn up the emotion of the character. I think any kinds of like faults I could find in the movie with the character are due to the writing, not to his performance. But yeah, my Oscar scene, it's the same one. It's when he's talking to Monk after Lorraine and Maynard's wedding. And they've, you know, they've gone through a lot throughout the film of him like coming back into the fold. And like you were talking about as he's expressing difficulty that he's had in being a gay man and not being able to tell his father that and how Monk is a lot like his father. I think that he is really good in that scene. And he, when he tells Monk, like he needs to let people love him. I feel like that is also the core of the movie, really. Next up, we have Robert De Niro as William King Hale in Killers of the Flower Moon. This is his ninth Oscar nomination and his eighth for acting. He won Best Actor for Raging Bull and Best Supporting Actor for The Godfather Part Two. How do you feel about Robert De Niro, how this performance maybe stacks up in his incredible storied career, and what would you pick as his Oscar scene? I think Robert De Niro's performance is the most layered and complicated one we have here. He's portraying this obviously purely evil man who is so good at being evil that he has convinced people around him that he's the best man for the job, the one they always need around. And it is so chilling to see him work under these conditions and to really see the implications of his masterminding of killing these Osage people. And again, I think Robert De Niro is the perfect man for the job, especially seeing his filmography and his other wins and nominations, really just his work in general. But from everything he's done with Scorsese in developing his maniacal character from Taxi Driver through The Godfather to today. I mean, a character like this really is decades in the making. And I think some of that charm of knowing him as a person adds to why this character is so hard to swallow when you're watching. I I really do love it. And... There's also a sensitivity that he plays with it that makes it one of the best performances of the year. Without that, I think it would be over the top, but he really does nail it. My scene for him, I think he has multiple options for great scenes, but I think my number one is when he's in front of the fireplace, he's talking to Ernest, and he's talking about getting Henry's head rights. Henry is like passed out in front of the fire, and... They're also talking about Molly and how Ernest really needs to get the money like he's trying to do from Henry. And he says to Ernest, let her have her secrets. That way you have yours. And it is just like the most downright evil thing you could say. But it really boils down the entire film in this one moment. And even though you don't normally see it from him or he's not explicit most times, he finally says it and you finally see what he's after 
what do you think of De Niro and his performance and what scene would you choose? I think he's unbelievable in this movie. And especially like after rewatching it last week, I just said to myself, oh, this is a Robert De Niro picture. And, you know, he's been one of Scorsese's key collaborators, like you talked about, and how he's great at playing villains, like in Taxi Driver, this like horribly complicated, wicked man in Travis Bickle to Cape Fear, where he's <laughs> like even more horrific. And it's so, I think, you know, saying like, oh, someone like De Niro has worked their way up to playing a character like this. It feels crazy in some ways because he's been working for so long and has had so many signature roles, especially in Scorsese films. But it's right in a way. Like, it does feel like this role feels like a culmination of everything that he's wanted to do. And, you know, I think here, though, the writing is just so strong of this character that I I feel like this performance is, like you said, it's so layered and it's just the richest in the category for me. And one of the things that Lily Gladstone talks about, about De Niro, is that he she described him as being able to change the temperature of the room. And you can really feel that when you watch this movie in every single scene that he's in. And I think I mentioned this on our Killers of the Flower Moon review episode, but I am not as big of a fan of the Leo-led Scorsese films. Like, the early 2000s into the 2010s, some of them are rough for me. I am a classic Scorsese De Niro girl. (laughs) And this brought me back to that. It reminded me why. And yes, Leo is in this movie too, but again, it just, I feel like De Niro just, he's the one I leave thinking about in terms of the male actors in the movie. And another thing that Lily said is that a character like Hale is so familiar to native actors and to native people because they are so used to white people coming in and pretending like they get it or acting like they are these really nice people who ultimately that's not their goal. And you have to suss out and figure out whether or not they actually have your best interests at heart. And I think that through the performance, the way that he speaks their language, the way that he acts like he's their friend while behind closed doors and even out in the open, he's joking about and discussing killing them. So again, it's just this very complex, dark performance. It's the epitome of evil lurking in the light. And again, it's this like type of murderous man that Scorsese's so used to depicting in his films, but it feels even darker here, I think. It feels like something that he hasn't really tapped into. My Oscar scene for him is at the very end of the movie when Ernest goes back to tell him that he's going to testify against him and he's in jail and he says, it's not going to make a difference. And then he continues on, the Osage, they love me. They know that I brought them into the great 20th century. And then the kicker, which I think is the core tenet of the film, is when he says, there may be a public outcry, but people forget. They don't care. It's just going to be another everyday common tragedy. And that belief, how sure and confident he is when he says that, one, it's just genius De Niro acting and how he delivers that, but it's also, it shows people don't learn about this in school. There haven't been movies made about this. Mm -hmm. It's a scene that is really haunting and sticks with me every time that I watch it. And that's because of De Niro. 
Our next nominee is Robert Downey Jr. as Louis Strauss in Oppenheimer. This is his third Oscar nomination. He was previously nominated for Chaplin and Tropic Thunder. So far this season, he's won the Golden Globe and Critics' Choice Awards and many Critics' Prizes. We'll see with SAG coming up shortly if he wins there. But how do you think this performance compares to his other nominated performances and what would you pick for his Oscar scene? Yeah, I think Robert Downey Jr. is a really interesting character because he got his start working with his dad and you can learn more about this in the Netflix documentary Senior but his dad was very much like an independent filmmaker, counterculture a hero to Paul Thomas Anderson but I think what a lot of people think of when they think of Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man which is the exact opposite of what his dad did but I think in terms of comparing performances I do think this is a really strong performance. It's not my favorite supporting performance in Oppenheimer. There are a few others that I like more. I think that Matt Damon is really good, and I'm surprised that he didn't get carried along, I think, throughout the season. I love Josh Hartnett. I think that Gary Oldman is really fantastic in his little scene um, where he's playing Truman. But what I like about this performance here is that it has this understated quality it's a subtle sort of like old school performance and that's something I really like I love characters like this who want to be seen by the other characters and you feel that urge that they have like they need to be wanted they need to be taken seriously and I like that Robert Downey Jr. described the character as having a bittersweet Salieri vibe (laughs) Because that is, I think, a huge part of it. I don't think it's personally on the level of F. Murray Abraham's performance. But I do think he's really good at leaning into how he's a very charismatic individual in real life. And I think that's contributed to a lot of his wins. And I think he leans into that here. But what's difficult is that he has to, I think fall back on something that does feel very foreign to him. Like, I don't imagine Robert Downey Jr. walking through the world in the way that Strauss does. I think it's kind of a smart casting decision because it's a 180 on what he's done before. And you think of those preconceived ideas that you have of him and they become not just like dismantled over the course of the film, but also they make the performance and the role, I think, more complex than it is on paper. And one of the other things that Downey talked about when he spoke about the role is he said that this was a character who was really conservative and devoted, and it reminded him of his grandfather, of someone who lived in another time. And he said that this idea of why don't I have what they have is most importantly a preoccupation that is particular of American exceptionalism. And I thought that was a really interesting way to break down the role is to think about not only are we looking at what he wants and why he wants it, we're looking at it specifically through the lens of this time period and the political anxieties and why American exceptionalism was overtaking everyone, right? Especially these men in power like Strauss. And I think for my Oscar scene, there are quite a few you can pick from here, I think. But 
I love the scene when he's getting the news that he didn't have the votes. There's so much in his face in that moment. And when, like, you can you can sense, like, he's so bitter and there's anger. And he just, he knows that, like, that was the time. That was the opportunity that if he was going to get something like that, he would have. It would have happened there. But then as he opens the door and goes out to see the press, he puts on a smile and it just switches. So... I love that moment. That would be my Oscar scene. What about you? What did you like about the performance and what would you pick? The thing you mentioned about Iron Man is really what I couldn't get out of my head watching this movie is that he is so known for being in the Marvel Universe. It's hard to see him in anything else. And obviously he has and he's been nominated before, but those came before Marvel too. I don't love Tropic Thunder. I really didn't care for that movie i understand like the range for his performance to get nominated i think he was just beloved that season for this movie but that comedy in that movie and with iron man this persona that he's created on film is really what he couldn't touch here and that's i think the most interesting is that he has to be this serious real person that he's portraying and that is what I liked is that we got to see a different side to him than what he's almost been typecast as recently. And I think he does a really good job with it because especially in this movie, the first time you're seeing Oppenheimer not really understanding, or maybe if you don't know the history to the story, I didn't before I went in or who this character was and the Senate appointment that he's going through, you're learning about who he is, why he's here and the dilemma that he's undergoing. And again, as Nolan plays with time, you're trying to piece it together in a timeline. And I think Downey does a really good job in piecing those together to the point that when we finish the movie and like the scene you mentioned, he's really climaxing in this dramatic moment that we believe it. And we've gone along with him this entire movie and The scene that I would choose for him is about an hour in, and he is convinced that there's a spy. And he's advocating to tell the president that there is a spy, that we should do something about this because their information has leaked from Los Alamos. And I think it's just a great little snippet of his performance without being too showy, but he gets to really showcase the power that he has with his voice which I think is why audiences and critics have really latched onto this character and this performance this season. So our next nominee is Ryan Gosling as Ken in Barbie. This is his third Oscar nomination after Half Nelson and La La Land. What do you think of this performance, particularly compared to his other nominations, and what would you pick for his Oscar scene? I love Ryan Gosling just in general. One, he's a really good actor, but two, I think... Just his presence, the way that he speaks about acting, his sense of humor. I just love him. I find him completely irresistible, to be honest. But I think that he's really perfect as Ken and Barbie. And the Ken character really took the year by storm. Like last week when you talked about Barbie core, when we spoke about costume design, you think about this sweatshirt that says, I'm Kenuff and Kenergy and the Ken Halloween costumes. And that doesn't happen without an actor like Ryan Gosling in the part. And there's a reason why he was Greta Gerwig's first choice. 
He's so committed and has great comedic chops. And I think people, because of those nominations that you mentioned too, they think of him as a serious actor. The way I said that, that's just reminded me of when Mia says serious firefighter in La La Land. La La Land is on the brain because we have two <laughs> La La Land people to talk about today. But he he's so great with comedy, I think. And it's so funny because he says, and I think people also cite films like First Man and Blue Valentine where he wasn't nominated, but he says that Ken is the hardest role he's ever had to play. And I think so much of it is because of what he describes as, quote, a high wire act in tiny shorts and no shirt with no net. <laughs> like he had to get it so specifically right, I think. And he absolutely does. And I love how he talks about how he had to find his Mickey Mouse Club self again and get back into his Disney roots. And I don't know, I like I like how private he is too. And how he, you know, he took a step back from acting to be with his family for a while. And he really leaned on his daughters to help him prepare for the role. So I don't I love it. And I think this movie and the part is so much more complex than people give it credit for. And there are certain things that you can really only get from it if you give yourself over to the movie. And I think his comedy is a huge part of that. I have two scenes. I think the first one is when he's in LA at Century City, just observing all of the men. I think that is so funny as he's just kind of taking it all in and mimicking their physicality as he's watching them like say no to the woman that walks up, like they need more time. Or he goes to the doctor's office and asks for the clicky pen and to perform the appendectomy. Like that, his delivery is so good in those scenes, but really it's I'm Just Ken. Doing an 80s power ballad as Ken, he's just fantastic. It's a great musical performance. The comedic timing is great. Yeah, I I love him in this movie. What about you? I love him too. It comes down to that comedy that he does so well, and I really wish he could win for a performance like that. It's not something the Oscars award often, but I think he totally deserves it, and to be here for sure. I think how we see him learning about the world, be it Barbie land that he knows or in the real world, in this L.A. Century City version of it, is really fascinating, and I think seeing him so wide-eyed in those moments brings you into that character. It's funny when he's interacting with Barbie and the other Barbies, especially earlier on, and, you know, like, when he falls and gets hurt, but not really. Like, that is so good. And then the scene, I do love the scene when, you know, he's talking to Barbie and say, hey, should I come over? And she's like, uh, to do what? He's like, I don't know. I think the comedy in moments like this are just perfect and really why he is the perfect choice to be in this movie. My Oscar scene, though, I do love I'm Just Ken. I think we should have more singing Oscar clips of actors, but mine is when he's converted Barbie Land into the Kendom and he's kind of preaching about how life is better having made it into the Century City version where the patriarchy is better than how they had it before. And that's obviously not the case, but I think his delivery of it and being so serious about it in a role that is otherwise purely comedic is very intentional. And I think that gets across the entire point of Barbie 
even more so just seeing how exaggerated he's being in this moment. I completely agree. That's a great scene too. And our last nominee is Mark Ruffalo. He plays Duncan Wedderburn in Poor Things. This is his fourth Oscar nomination. He was previously nominated for The Kids Are All Right, Foxcatcher, and Spotlight. What did you think of Mark Ruffalo's performance and what would you pick for his Oscar scene? Foxcatcher is not something I remembered and it's just funny thinking back that that was an Oscar movie. (laughs) Oh my god. Foxcatcher, I just always think of the scene when Channing Tatum has to lose weight really quickly. That's the only thing I remember from that movie. Yeah, I remember the Steve Carell prosthetics and Mm -hmm. Channing's character being addicted to coke. That's about all I remember from the movie. I love that those are the things that we remember. Not Mark Ruffalo, sadly, (laughs) but the Academy loves him. I think that's the point to my story is... I assumed he would be here because this performance is really showy, too. He has a pretty big character arc, and Duncan is really the impetus for Bella to travel and learn about life and herself, and, you know, to see his demise later in the film is fun, I think, for where they take this movie, but it's a bit over the top, I would say. The character is playing into this debauchery that... Again, I think the movie is getting at with this patriarchal sense that men are a wasteland in a sense. And Bella gets to learn from that too and how Duncan reacts to certain things that either she says or does or instances they come across like in their travels, like on the boat. I think for my scene, it would be a showier one because it's funny too. And I think that's why voters audiences have liked this performance but it's in the sanitarium later in the film he's raving mad about bella and this is what gets him out but it's also interesting i feel like after this his character kind of fizzles out he doesn't have like a big punch at the end you know he comes back at the wedding but that's about it but i think the moments he does have in the film he does very well What do you think of this performance and what would you pick for his Oscar scene? It's hard because on one hand, I'm happy that we have two comedic performances here because comedy is so often, I think, underappreciated at the Oscars. But this to me leans into like the very cartoonish and over the top that I just don't respond to. I know that that's part of the point. To me, it's also somewhat of an issue with the writing that he's just kind of a flat character. Like, he's the archetype of this villainous cad. And as far as comedic performances go, I definitely am much more drawn to Ryan Gosling. I know that one of the things that Mark Ruffalo said that really helped him lean into this character was that it was vaudevillian but refined. And I feel like that approach is something that you can definitely see in his work throughout the film. He kind of reminded me a little bit of Keanu Reeves in Dracula. His accent, the way his voice sounded, how he almost felt like he was, I don't know, again, just this kind of like thinly drawn character. And it's it's just not a performance that I love. We have them every year. There's always there are always a few. And again, I think it's but it's something that this branch they really like. They like over the top, they like loud, they like showy. 
And that's definitely what this performance is. But I do enjoy Mark Ruffalo as an actor. It's funny that when I also think of his spotlight performance, I think of the very loud moment too. the they knew part when Mm -hmm. he's yelling that it's like, maybe that's just his calling card with the Academy. But I definitely prefer him in his much more subtle performances. Of course, I love that he's our second Zodiac actor in the category. Go watch Zodiac. (laughs) My Oscar scene, I think, would just be that dinner scene when they're in Lisbon and they have that dinner with the couple. And that's also a good showcase for Emma Stone. But just how he's responding to her in that moment and trying to like keep up appearances with this other couple. It is still over the top, but it's less over the top than some of his other scenes that we get later in the film when he's kind of coming undone. So I think I would select that one. So in wrapping up the category, who would your write-in vote be? So I know we talked about some performances here that I loved, but I thought it would be fun here to replace the entire category with five additional nominees just this once instead of going with one write-in vote, because I think this was a very strong year for supporting actor. So my write-in votes, we have Charles Melton from May-December, who gave one of my favorite performances of the year. I think if he were nominated here, he'd be second to De Niro only, really. Just a great star-making vehicle. Such a complex, emotionally layered performance with great physical acting, too. I would go with Ben Wishaw for Passages. We both love Passages, and I think this is Ben Wishaw's strongest performance. I think it's, it's heartbreaking, really. And there are scenes that I think of when I... You know, just in how he's trying to deal with Franz Rogowski's character, that scene later on in the film when he's talking to Gats about the baby and he brings her the baby gift, like that really stuck with me. Milo Machado Graner, who plays Daniel in Anatomy of a Fall, he should absolutely have been here this year. And it makes me sad that they don't go for child performances more often because this one is incredible. I mean, he outacts a lot of adults in his own movie, really. I think that scene in the courtroom where he's telling that story about the conversation with his dad, it is such a great piece of acting. Dominic Sessa in The Holdovers should have been here. Breakout star of that movie. It doesn't work without all three of them operating to the best of their abilities, really. And he does more than hold his own with Davine Joy Randolph and Paul Giamatti. Can't wait to see what he does next. Paul Thomas Anderson, please cast him in a 70s film. And my last one is Jacob Elordi for Priscilla. I think he's fantastic as Elvis. It is a, a subdued sort of evil, and I love what he does with that. I think he he really takes on the king in his own way. That's very different from Austin Butler's portrayal from the year before. So I cheated. I have five picks. What is your write-in vote? My write-in vote is for Glenn Howerton in Blackberry. This is a movie that surprised me. We have so many of these biopic type movies now, which I think we're a little bit too inundated with, but I think this one surprised me and I really liked it. It had an interesting perspective on the device, but really how it came about and the people behind it and what Glenn Howerton is doing really blew me away. He is a totally different character, kind of like my reasoning with Robert Downey Jr. than who we know him as in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. 
and the person that he is here is he just did a complete 180 and he looks totally different too and you know he's loud he's brash but he really channels this corporate business tone and the rampages associated with that with needing to be perfect but also slimy at the same time but he gets the job done and i think he does an amazing job if you haven't seen this movie i highly recommend it and who do you think should win it's really between ryan gosling and robert de niro for me i would love to see ryan gosling for the comedy and robert de niro for just his calculation in such a grand performance and I think the runtime plays into it a little bit just because he gets so much time to develop this person. But on the other hand, there is so much time and he is able to slowly develop a really difficult thing to do. So I would love to see them both, but for completely different reasons. Who is your pick? I mean, if you couldn't tell from how we were talking about them, those two are my top two as well. I would have been happy with either of them winning for the exact same reasons that you said. I think for me, though, if I had to just pick one, I would give the edge to Robert De Niro. When I watched this last, I just kept thinking to myself, how is he not, how is he not winning? How is he not winning? What is going on? Like, this is such an incredible performance that is, I think, just a, the capstone of his career. I mean, he's... I, I love him in even, I don't know, the intern. I really love him in everything. But this role and this performance is coming at a time when, you know, he and Scorsese have been working together for over 50 years. And the fact that they're able to have this shorthand with each other and deliver some of their career best work at the ages they are now, I think is just so beautiful. So, yeah, I would absolutely give it to De Niro. And next up, we have Best Supporting Actress. Our precursors here are the same as Supporting Actor. Our nominees are Emily Blunt, Danielle Brooks, America Ferreira, Jodie Foster, and Davine Joy Randolph. So our first nominee, Emily Blunt, she plays Kitty Oppenheimer in Oppenheimer. This is her first Oscar nomination. What do you think of her performance and what would be your Oscar scene? I would have nominated her for The Devil Wears Prada and a few of her other performances earlier in her career. What's interesting is that Blunt said she was, quote, drawn to the idea of the woman that refused to conform to the feminine ideal of the time. And she talked about her defiance against the system and how that really appealed to her. But the quote that she said that really stuck with me for many reasons was she said that she had a brilliant brain that went to waste at the ironing board. And I feel like that is just so indicative of what happened to Kitty Oppenheimer in her life, but also what happened to Kitty Oppenheimer in the film. I think that Emily Blunt does the most with the way that this character is written, and the script doesn't give her much to work with, because I think it often feels like a stereotype of the suffering wife. We've talked about the point of view on our Oppenheimer episode and why the script is written in this way, but because it's written in that way... It just doesn't really do her many favors. I think she has a couple of really strong scenes, but it's difficult, I think, sometimes to believe the buildup to those scenes when she just, again, is sort of treated like a stereotypical suffering wife earlier in the film. But I love watching Emily Blunt. I think she really did play into 
how Oppenheimer saw her. I think her strongest scenes are when she's going up against him and showing this like fiery side of the character and how frustrating it is to just watch them fall apart or, you know, not call anyone out. Like there's nothing more frustrating than just seeing someone suffer through something or deal with something and not do anything to stop it. Right. And I think that those scenes with her are her best work in the movie. So my Oscar scene, I think the hearing will probably be the one that they pick, but I would actually go with the scene after Oppenheimer finds out that Jean Tatlock has died by suicide and she's like shaking him outside. And she says, you don't get to commit the sin and have us all feel sorry for you that there are consequences. Because that's just such a, I think that's such a good moment for her character. And Killian is a great scene partner in that scene too. I feel like they really play off of each other very well. So I think I would pick that one for her. But I do love Emily Blunt as an actress. I just feel like this role is is kind of a tricky one because of its limitations. What about you? Yeah, I feel the same way. I was kind of surprised after the movie premiered that we were still seeing her predicted in the category every single month leading up to the actual award season. And it's really because of the reasons you explained. The character just doesn't have enough room to grow and develop. And when it does, it's a pretty two-dimensional view of this poor housewife who drank away her sorrows and is now an alcoholic and is more of a nag to Oppenheimer. And I think the way the character finishes in the courtroom is uplifting and inspiring and what we wanted to see from the character, but it's almost too little too late. But that being said, I do like Emily Blunt. I think, you know, she brings to the character what she needed and listening to her in interviews is actually really delightful. I love her speaking about not only just acting in general, but her process and how much she loved being on this film and the nerves behind it too and working with someone like Christopher Nolan. But yeah, I think she's doing the best job that she can with the material that she was given. Whenever I think of Emily Blunt, I feel like she's already been nominated. So to keep hearing that this is her first nomination continually surprises me. It's funny because I was on Friend of the Pod, Morgan, her podcast yesterday, Female Gaze, the film club, and I was talking about Your Sister, Sister, which Emily Blunt is in. And I love her in that movie. I love that movie. And I love her in Sicario, too. I think what she's doing there, she's given a lot more depth, I will say, than what I think she's given here. But I do like her, and I'm glad she's here with, finally, her first Oscar nomination. Next up, we have Danielle Brooks, who plays Sophia in The Color Purple. This is her first Oscar nomination. What do you think of this performance, and what would you pick for her Oscar scene? I really like Danielle Brooks in The Color Purple. I'm glad of all the performances that she's the one that we're talking about today. 
I think the brash honesty with which she delivers, we've seen before in other performances that she's done, namely Orange is the New Black, but it's an important quality that when I was reading the book, you feel that in the writing, and I think the way she portrays Sophia is spot on. I think she's really fun in all of her numbers as well, and in singing, and I think with her bringing this character from Broadway to the screen, I mean, I'm glad she reprised her role. It's funny that she almost could have not fully egotted, but she could have gotten a Grammy, Oscar, and a Tony for this performance. She was nominated for a Tony, but won the Grammy. And I think initially people expected her to win the Oscar. But yeah, the fact that she's gotten so many nominations for this one character is kind of fun. And I think seeing it from stage to screen, she does a tremendous job with the material. Yeah, I love the video of her finding out that she got the role of Sophia in the movie version. It makes me tear up (laughs) every time it just like pops up on Twitter or on Instagram. I think it's just really, really beautiful. It's just this, this very pure moment of Mm -hmm. an actor you know getting something that they deserve and I feel like she was the right choice for this film adaptation and I totally agree with you I'm so glad she was able to reprise her role I think that her performance is very theatrical it does feel like it comes from Broadway I think you can very much feel that in it but I also think that's how the film is supposed to be I think that's just kind of the the house style of performances that we see Her voice is impeccable, and I think she brings so much life into this character that you really need. This character leaps off the page and is the role, I think, that you come away from at least the musical thinking about. I think Celie is the character in the book, at least, that I was thinking about most um, after I read it. And I think a, a key moment, really, for the character is when, and that highlights Brooks's performance, it wouldn't be the scene that I would go with, but I think that when she goes to jail after she is completely just, you know, unfairly arrested and that inner light that's so bright for the majority of the film is just shut off. That I think is, is really powerful. For her Oscar scene, I'm kind of torn between two. I think that I would want them to highlight her vocals because I think that her singing voice is amazing and I love her performance of Hell No, the song that is basically the musical version of the monologue that Oprah gives, the all my life I had to fight monologue. So I think she's great in that, but I also love the scene when she starts laughing at the table at the end of the movie before Celie leaves for Memphis. And, you know, she's she's come back from jail. She's been released after six years and you can feel that that experience really did her in and it's taking a while for that light to come back. But all of those men, all of the men in this movie are just trash. They're awful. And when Celie finally has it in her to go after Mr. and Sophia just starts laughing, that's a really good scene of hers too. But I think I would probably pick Hell No, her song. Yeah, I didn't say my scene, but that is it. It has to be her singing because she's so good. And I think the physicality in that role comes out as she's singing too. Our next nominee, we have America Ferreira playing Gloria in Barbie. This is also her first nomination. What do you think of her performance and what would you pick for her Oscar scene? 
Well, I, I love America Ferreira, mostly because she's Carmen in Sister of the Traveling Pants. When she was nominated, that's all I could think of. I mean, I know she's she was great in Real Women Have Curves as well, but it's always the Sister of the Traveling Pants for me. We will talk more about the writing when we get to the screenplay categories, but I think that this nomination really is for that scene in particular, Gloria's monologue. And I think that, you know, while nominating the performance is also recognizing the writing. I think that her character in performance really is the window into this movie for so many women. Like you hear stories about women who've left abusive relationships because of this monologue. They hear it and it sets something off within them that's similar to what happens to the Barbies in the film. It's had that similar function for real women. And I know we'll talk about you know, whether or not it's Feminism 101, whether or not that matters when we talk about the screenplay. But I think for me, the performance really is connected to that. And that would also be my Oscar scene for her. I think that it has to be Gloria's monologue. And I, I do think America Ferreira is good in this movie. Would I have nominated her? I would not have. But I think this really is a case of voting for that one scene. And when we talk about Oscar scenes, like she has one. She has the moment that people remember from the movie. She has the moment that's been played on the news and that, you know, people come away from the movie talking about. So that's what I would pick for her Oscar scene. I have a fun question for you. You can save it for when you're done talking about America Ferreira, but okay. this is something that my sister and I were talking about. If you could pick one actor nominated from any category to deliver the monologue, who would it be other than America Ferreira as Gloria? I have a clear answer, but I'm curious what you will think. I hope it's the same. I'm going with Paul Giamatti. Wait, that's really funny. <laughs> Who's your answer? Annette Benning as Diana Nyad. As Nyad specifically. As Nyad specifically, just screaming it at Bonnie. Okay, wait, that's really good, too. Oh, my God. I I don't know. We'll talk about Paul in a bit, but something about him being so curmudgeonly in the holdovers, I think, would be really funny, too. <laughs> yeah, that is good. If you imagine him being like that, just being like, never be rude, never grow old, and that, like, curmudgeonly <laughs> delivery is really funny to imagine. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to talk about Annette Benning too. But back to America... I think it would be a huge disappointment if they didn't choose that scene as her Oscar clip because it is really why she got nominated. She's also a wonderful speaker, and I think that helped her as well. She had an incredibly rousing Critics' Choice speech, and I really loved her roundtable with the LA Times with other actresses. And one thing Fantasia asked all of the actresses is, or something that she says to herself is that, you know, do I still do this because I love it? And she asks everyone, do you love what you do? And everyone says, yes, yes, yes. And America's like, well, not really. But she's so honest and she explains herself so well that I think being nominated for a performance and a character that is written so real, she's channeling a version of herself and I think to hear her say this speech in particular is uplifting for so many people but it's just refreshing to see such honesty and passion behind it 
behind something so simple that should be so clearly understood, but isn't. And it is kind of a weird nomination, but I think for people having rallied behind Barbie and it doing so well this year, it makes sense why she got in. Next up, we have Jodie Foster, who plays Bonnie Stoll in Nyad. This is her fifth Oscar nomination. She has two wins, both in Best Actress for The Accused and The Silence of the Lambs. I know you love Nyad, but what do you think of Jodie Foster's nomination here? And what would you pick for her Oscar scene? I do love Jodie and her performance as Bonnie. I think it's one that as I watch Nyad more and more, a phrase I never thought I'd say before I saw the movie. (laughs) Her performance continues to grow on me. And I think similar to other actors we've talked about today and will soon, there's this heart and love and passion behind her that really pushes Nyad to be her better self and to really accomplish what she's done. And that plays into their relationship and this friendship they've had their entire lives. And it's a different side to Jodi than we've seen in, like, say, her Oscar wins. So I think they get to just have a lot of fun with it, too. I mean, she starts out talking about, oh, I forgot the poop bags. (laughs) And they have to go back in the pet store. Like, starting a movie with that line, I mean, you know you're in for some kind of ride. And it really is. It's an adventure for sure. But yeah, I love her here. I think my Oscar scene, there are multiple. I would really love it to be when she dives in the water at the very end when she pushes Nyad to keep swimming. And there are rules and Nyad's like, don't touch me. No, 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 I'm fine. And she just starts swimming and you just kind of break. You start crying. One of the many times I cried in this movie because you get to see that love they have for each other and it's really really touching what do you think of this performance and what would your oscar scene be when you just described that scene of her in the water and said that (laughs) she encourages her to just keep swimming i just kept thinking of just keep swimming from finding (laughs) nemo (laughs) but i love jodie foster in this movie Bonnie, our Diet Coke drinking supportive hero. Yes. She really does it all. She feeds Annette noodles. She dives in after her to keep going. I really think she steals the show. I know that Annette Bening's role is so demanding, but I feel like Jody is just this incredible ray of light. And she really is one of our greatest living actresses. There's something so thrilling about watching her on screen i think she's a movie star i mean even are you watching the season of true detective i haven't yet but i want to because i've heard she's amazing it is just a joy to see her solving a case again i i can't even explain it of what happens it's just she's so great to watch and i think that's one of the things that i always think about when i watch jodie foster in something it's just that i i really feel like i can trust her like she just feels like this natural leader. She knows what she's doing. She has this natural athleticism also, which is something that I think worked really well for her in The Silence of the Lambs too. But I think here, this role lets her lean into her warmth. And she's so good at that naiad. And in showing us, I think, because the script doesn't really do her or anyone any favors either, 
But I think she's so good at showing us potentially why Bonnie is so supportive of Nyad, even after everything that she's been through. And I think my Oscar scene, I love the one that you picked. I think that would be a good one too. But mine is when she and Diana are having that argument in the kitchen. And she says, you know, for once, this is about me. And you don't even think of me. She finally just tells her how she feels and lets her know how selfish she's being and that Bonnie is someone who has really put everything on hold to help her with this goal that she has. So I would go with that one. Another one that I love that I think they'll choose is when Bonnie comes back to Nyad after that fight. And her final line is, if you die, I want to be the last person you see. Which is another just soul-crushing remark, but captures the love of true friendship. Our final nominee is Devine Joy Randolph. She plays Mary Lamb in The Holdovers. This is her first Oscar nomination, and she's won absolutely everything this season. So what do you think of this performance, and what would you pick for her Oscar scene? I love Devine Joy Randolph in this movie. I think she first, she should have been nominated for Dolomite Is My Name, but I'm happy she's nominated here and that she finally has her first Oscar nomination. We'll talk about this when we talk about screenplay, but the tone of this movie is so perfect, I think, and it really serves her and her talents so well because she's able to really lean into the truly devastating melancholic moments for her character while also bringing this dry wit and humor to the part. It's really the perfect balance. And I think what she does so well here is that she channels this character's grief in a very specific way. She's not over the top with it. She actually chooses, I think, to think about grief as something that you carry with you and that you live with. And that sneaks up on you in specific moments. And having that, having a loss like she has, the loss of her son, Curtis, having that be a part of your life while continuing on is such a hard thing to do. And I think that she nails the portrayal of that, that specific depiction of grief. And I love the moments too when she, like when she goes to visit her sister and we get that moment for the character and we see her with that hat box that has all of Curtis's baby clothes in it. And you just see her delicately touching them. Or, you know, when she's going to pick out an outfit for the Christmas Eve party and we see her just touch his military jacket that's in her closet. There's just so much also in those subtle moments for her character that I really love. My Oscar scene is when she and Paul are watching TV together and she's telling the story about her husband and her son and how they both were great men that died before they were 25. And you just feel like this character, she's had such a hard life. You really feel her pain and yet her comedy still comes through. Like when Paul says (laughs) that Curtis was a great student, She just says, he hated you. He thought you were a real asshole. And it's just such a great moment to showcase, honestly, just how smart this script is. And it's what I think that scene really sums up what I love about this movie so much. Yeah, I feel the same way about her. And I would pick that same scene. It captures so much of what she does with this character in such a short amount of time. And she feels like 
someone who from the very first second that we see her on screen, we understand her, we feel the pain along with her, but it's also one that we want to see develop. And throughout the film, getting to see her break down at the party and explain herself, really see her honesty and her truth. And, you know, even when she's crying and she's grieving, we see the mascara running down her face, but she still defends Angus against Paul when he says that comment to him about his dad. And Angus says, you know, my dad is dead. You know, she's still like, why did you do that? That was messed up. Mm -hmm. So I think she surprised me throughout the movie. Yeah, we've talked about how cozy a movie this is, but it's a character that I would love to have a conversation with, have dinner with, because of who Devine is. So yeah, I think rewatching this movie, she's a surprising light, you know, for how intense and dark her character really is. She is the light in this movie that makes me excited to rewatch it. So to wrap up the category, who would your write-in vote be? My write-in vote is for Julianne Moore in May-December. I wish all of the actors could have been nominated from this movie. I wish it could have been nominated in way more categories, period. But I think Julianne is one of our best actresses working today. Hearing her in that same roundtable talk about the performance, she approached Todd about adding the list because of her research she had done trying to figure out who this character was. So to hear that she added that on her own or found that to be an important trait that this character would have to further show how immature she is really just blew me away. And yeah, I think everything she does with this role should have earned her an Oscar nomination. What would your write-in vote be? I love the Julianne Moore pick. She's definitely on my list. There are so many great actresses this year who came close or were nominated in Precursors and then didn't show up here. I love Rosamund Pike in Saltburn. I love Penelope Cruz in Ferrari. But my write-in vote would be for Rachel McAdams in Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. I love her in this movie. And I just feel like she brings such an honesty to the part you feel this warm maternal energy in every conversation that she has with her daughter. But you also get the sense that, you know, she's a woman who is battling a lot on her own that, you know, these, these adult problems that she has, and she's so good at balancing that. And I just, I I don't know. I just love the conversation she has with her and how understanding she is of her daughter and what she's going through. So yeah, I love Rachel McAdams. I'm so happy she's back. And I think this performance really reminded everyone of just how fantastic she is as an actress. And who do you think should win? I think Davine Joy Randolph should win. There's a reason she's been sweeping all season. I think the performance only gets stronger, really, with every rewatch. And I can't wait for her to collect her Oscar. What about you? I agree. I think it should be her, too. I am so glad. My God, knock on wood that the holdovers will be an Oscar-winning film because I wouldn't have necessarily expected it. But even if this is its only win, it is so well-deserved, and I hope it happens. Next up, we have lead actor. Same precursors as before. 
our Oscar nominees are Bradley Cooper, Coleman Domingo, Paul Giamatti, Killian Murphy, and Jeffrey Wright. Our first nominee, we have Bradley Cooper, who plays Leonard Bernstein in Maestro. This is his 10th Oscar nomination and his fifth for acting. He was previously nominated for Silver Linings Playbook, American Hustle, American Sniper, and A Star is Born. What did you think of this performance? How does it stack up maybe to his other performances in his career? And what would you pick for his Oscar scene? In terms of performances, I think this is the baitiest one we have this year. But I think he (laughs) delivers it as he needs to. I I don't think that's wrong to say. From all the ways he explained his process and developing this character, becoming him over the past six years and learning how to conduct, it's a lot. But I think he does it really well, too. People have their hot takes on this movie and this performance, but... If anyone was to do it, I'm glad it's Bradley Cooper because he goes all in and you really need an actor, a director, a producer, and everything kind of person to portray such a big person such as Leonard Bernstein. And I love multiple scenes that he's in. I think that his conducting really is special and true to who Leonard was. I would love to see him and Lydia Tarr conduct together. I don't know how that would happen, but I think it would be fun to have like an actors on actors with them two as their characters. Oh my God. Well, now I'm also thinking about Lydia Tarr reading the monologue, the Barbie monologue. (laughs) And that's, that's really special. But I think, I think Lydia, you know, she has so much admiration for Leonard Bernstein in Tar, and I remember saying that I think Tar as a film taught me more about Leonard Bernstein than Maestro did. I don't think Lydia Tar would like Maestro as a movie, but I think Mm -hmm. that the actors on actors would be wonderful. I love that idea. I also think Lydia Tar would like stop halfway through the Barbie monologue and she wouldn't finish it. She's like, I'm done with this. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, what is this? I'm so rude. (laughs) Look where it's taken me. But for Bradley Cooper's scene, I would choose one, it's towards the end of the movie when he's working with the young conductor and he's helping him and he's like, no, 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 not that. And he goes and shows him how to do it. And I think the difference is just so subtle, but to see even the joy in his character and really his love for music really shines and how he works with other people. I mean, it would be really funny if they continued the scene past the cut into the the club and they're dancing together (laughs) yeah we need the bridge we need what's in the middle of that (laughs) but either way it's a good scene he has multiple scenes i would love to see him conducting in the ely cathedral too i think him being all sweaty and worked up is also really fun but it shows again the commitment that he put into portraying leonard bernstein yeah, I mean, I am I am truly a Bradley Cooper super fan. I am too far gone, perhaps. But I like him in this movie. I think that he definitely went to the Lady Gaga school for campaigning. If you watch his CBS Sunday morning clip, which about 15 people sent to me when it came out. <laughs> but I think he's just so earnest like in how he talks about feeling connected to Bernstein's soul and missing him. He's such an emotional man. 
taking him six years to learn, you know, how to conduct six minutes in Ely Cathedral. I personally, as someone who pays attention to awards and loves the filmmaking process, I love that kind of story. I love that kind of approach. Those stories don't get old for me, really. I love how he, in preparation for this movie, and when I saw it, they talked about how he studied at David Geffen Hall and he would go for hours and would just lean over the railing watching the New York Phil's process. And I think people talk a lot about, you know, the transformative quality of the performance and how we see that in Best Actor pretty frequently. But I think I like how he also kind of transforms over the course of the movie, really picking up on the changing styles and the life of Lenny. I think the film itself focuses much more on the heavier bits of his life and his relationship, why he needs to be around people. But I think I wanted more in terms of his charm and charisma. Like, why were people so drawn to him? I wish they had the young people's concerts included. I think that maybe would have helped. But I think I just wanted a little bit more in the writing and in the direction to show not just why he was drawn to a life around so many people, but why people were so drawn to him. And that's not on his performance. I think that's much more on the screenplay, but I think his performance would have stood out even more if there were moments like that in the screenplay. But I think, again, he's really convincing in showing us the high of that career and that environment and why it would be so difficult to come down from. Lydia Tarr talked about this in her speech at the New Yorker Festival at the beginning of Tarr. And I think I feel that here, but I also love the voice. I think the voice is very fun and I love how it changes as he gets older. For my Oscar scene, I think you can pick some of them where he's talking to like the camera crew and the biographer, like in those interview scenes or any of the conducting scenes. But I would go with the scene when Felicia is getting her cancer diagnosis because it's a really brutal scene. It comes right after the triumph and the height of the Ely Cathedral scene. And instead of letting her speak, he just can't really stop asking questions and kind of taking over. And you can see how it's affecting him. And it just feels very real to life. So I would go with that one. Next, we have Coleman Domingo playing Bayard Rustin in Rustin. This is his first Oscar nomination. What do you think of the performance? And what would you pick for his Oscar scene? I'm so happy that Coleman Domingo has a lead role here. I have heard stories about, you know, when he says he thought about giving up acting before. But honestly, I think he needs to be in Shakespeare. I really do. I think we need to put that the voice and the dramatic qualities that he has to good use. And I can think of about five different Shakespearean characters off the top of my head that I would love to see him tackle, whether it's on stage or on screen. But one of the interesting things that Domingo said about Rustin that intrigued him about the character and that he brought into his performance was that he was hidden into the shadows of history because he was openly gay. And I think that he really brings this character to life in Rustin, really. He's so charismatic. It's a really multi-layered performance, too, that I think I wish the movie could have supported more fully. Because I think that the movie itself, I don't find it really memorable, but I think that his performance stands above the rest of what we're working with in the film. So 
I came away from Rustin just hoping that or wishing that the movie was up to the task of supporting his performance a bit more. For his Oscar scene, I'm going to go with a scene that takes place, I think, right at the end of the movie where they're all in the office listening to Martin Luther King give that speech on TV. And it's a practically wordless scene for Domingo, but you just see all of that emotion on his face. And it just showcases his understanding of Rustin as a person. I know you really liked Rustin and Coleman Domingo's performance, but what would you pick for his Oscar scene? What did you think of him in this movie? Yeah, I think it's because of Coleman that I liked the movie as much as I did. I think it's a fine biopic in terms of structure. In terms of George C. Wolfe, his directorial efforts, I liked what he was doing here more than Ma Rainey's because I think it feels less like a stage version of something, which obviously he's good at doing. But Coleman here really is the reason to watch this movie. And it is a well-deserved nomination. Coleman is such a beloved actor in the industry. And I'm just so happy that he's getting recognized finally. He's, I feel like, just doing more and more every year, which is incredible to see. And I think portraying someone as Rustin is really special. I think at first I was a little unsure of where it was going to go, but to start to understand who Rustin was and I think just the power behind all of his words and his convictions is why I really loved him in the end. My scene that I would pick for him is when he's in front of the Lincoln Memorial planning for the march and he's talking to the police chief and you just see all of those things working. He's not relenting. He wanted the march to be a two-day event and he's not letting that go. But also in learning about this person and the importance that he had, his friendship that he had with MLK and him really being the force behind the march and that famous MLK speech that we have today, like he is the reason for that. And I think the movie and more so the performance captures that power. Next up, we have Paul Giamatti as Paul Hunnam in The Holdovers. This is his second Oscar nomination. He was previously nominated for Cinderella Man. This season, he won the Golden Globe for Actor in a Comedy or Musical and the Critics' Choice Award. What do you think of Giamatti's performance here? Maybe how it compares to the rest of his career? And what would you pick for his Oscar scene? I love Paul here. Paul is Paul. I think in a way that Devine made this film rich, Paul makes it funny and layered. You also get to see this really complex character, this alcoholic who is a, again, curmudgeonly teacher. And throughout the movie, you get to learn why he is the way he is, which I think in other movies like this, you wouldn't necessarily see, or it would be more of like a one note type of thing. But I think what Jamadi adds here is just so much flavor. I think part of that is the script and what he gets to say, which is also just really fun. And the whole I thing is just a great trick along the way. But really the relationships that he gets to build with Marion Angus 
especially Angus, in not only the trip to Boston, but in the hospital, in some of these quieter moments that really tug at your heartstrings. And my God, I I love him here. He's another reason to rewatch the movie over and over and over. He has so many great scenes too. You know, you could go with the really funny, you could go with the really sad and heart-wrenching. I think the one I would choose is when he's explaining the origins of St. Nicholas and the bowling alley. <laughs> and I love this. The worker and the other guy are like, what the hell is this guy talking about? <laughs> because it does explain to you in one scene who he is. I think another fun moment would be at the very end when he gets to call the headmaster penis cancer in human form that would be fun but he has so many great comedic moments too what do you think of the role and performance and what would be your scene i really love this performance it's one of my favorites from the year it just feels like it feels akin to the type of performance we would have gotten in the 70s so naturally it's really up my alley i'm just a mark for that like if you can imagine gene hackman or peter sellers in a role sign me up like, I, I love that. So I think he's he's so good here at playing bitter, cantankerous characters. And the role was written for him, right? And I think, yes, you know, he plays curmudgeons. But I think that this is his most complicated character. Like Certainly it's in his wheelhouse, but that doesn't mean it's a lesser performance. I think that he actually brings so much to it. And he's just the perfect choice. For the role. And I think one of the things that I thought was interesting to learn is that he went to Choate, which is a really good, really good private school in New England, but it's actually the rival of Deerfield Academy where they got uh, Dominic Sessa. Mm -hmm. And I think that Paul was able to lean into his own right prep school experience that he had where the teachers were really strict and he could kind of go back to that. Like that was an experience that was familiar to him, but kind of from the opposite side of things. And I feel like the layers of this performance really sneak up on you with the reasons why he's such a curmudgeon, the pain and the melancholy underneath all of that. And thinking about why he's still at Barton Academy, why he takes it out on the boys in the way that he does. I think there's something really to his character and to Mary's character in having to deal with these petulant children, really, that just expect everything to be handed to them. And that's a more difficult thing, I think, for both of their characters and something they really bond over. But I love how Giamatti and Sessa also work together. I love the the comedy and the rapport between the two of them. I also think the physical comedy to Giamatti's performance is really good. So in addition to like a lot of the lines that you were saying and the delivery of them, like when he's throwing the football or you see him running and chasing after Angus, those things are so funny and just add again, <laughs> great comedy to the film. Um, my Oscar scene for him would be also, it would have been Dominic Sess's scene if he were nominated, but the scene after Angus goes to visit his father and he's telling Paul, the story of that, of, you know, what happened. And there's just this really heartfelt, serious moment where Paul just tells him, like, you're not your father. Like, contrary to history, contrary to popular belief, like, you are not him. And it's just a really great moment between the two of them. And it just shows why Paul Giamatti is perfect for this part. Our next nominee is Killian Murphy in Oppenheimer. 
This is his first Oscar nomination. He has so far this season won the Golden Globe for drama. What do you think of this performance? How would you compare it to his other works? And what would you pick for his Oscar scene? I love Killian Murphy in general. And I think he's fantastic here. He gives my favorite performance in Oppenheimer. I love that this is also his first like major lead role. He's been working with Nolan for a really long time now, but mostly in supporting capacity. And I think that this is a very subtle, nuanced performance and one that has to work perfectly in order for the movie to be a success. I love the story that Nolan sent Killian Murphy a picture of David Bowie when he was prepping because Bowie always created his own iconography and Downey actually described Bowie as someone who struggled to figure out how he could break in. And those are things that Oppenheimer had to do as a character. So I love that little tie-in. I thought that was fun. But I love the evolution of the character. I love how in the early days we can really feel how trapped he is in that mind and how he's struggling. I'm so glad they put the scene with the poison apple in. I feel like that unlocks a lot about this character from when I read the book. And I think that Killian nails those early days. I also think that he's, you know, really good in the scenes when he's kind of beaten down near the end, when he's being tried by that kangaroo court. And you feel that how much he's struggling with what he's done in building this bomb in unleashing it on the world. And what happens when it all comes undone? I also love the physical aspect of this role too. So he always has his hand on his hip. And I think that's real like just an interesting detail that Murphy took from photos of Oppenheimer, but also he has different postures with different, four different characters. Um, So when he's with Einstein, he doesn't have his hand on his hip. He's much more straight up and down. When he's, you know, at different parts of the film, you'll see his posture and his physicality change. My Oscar scene would be at that rally. So it starts out, it's like, he's very patriotic you know, the world will remember this day. And then all of a sudden it just comes over his face. Like, what, what have I done? What did I do? So that would be my Oscar scene. It's, I think, one of the best scenes of the year. It really sticks with you and is, it's like a horror movie. And we know he's good in those sorts of situations too. So I think he kind of leans into his previous work that he's done, but this is also pretty new for him at the same time. And I think he nailed it. I agree. He definitely did. It's, for me, a hard performance to pinpoint certain major qualities about him because everything is so nuanced and he's so good at this slow burn and this character. I think in a totally different way than Robert De Niro was in Killers. But I do love his bigger moments, like getting to see his vulnerability with that scene you mentioned for Kitty when he just totally breaks down and hears about Gene's death and then later in the film when he's grappling with his mind and his decisions and how the government has really taken from him and his agency you get to feel that within his character for his scene I mean he's in this movie for nearly two hours Mm -hmm. which is insane and pick any clip the problem I had with picking a clip is that a lot of his moments are quiet and reserved and you like you mentioned get to see just his facial reactions or things being piled on without him having to say anything and that's 
part of why he's here and why this is so good, but those are hard clips to have. So I think my scene would be early on, right before the poison apple scene when he's in the lab, but it's those younger days. It's kind of fun to see the transformation he has throughout the movie, but you get to see some of this more sprightly emotion than we see later in his life, later in the film, that you get to learn a lot from, I think, starting the movie with with him here. And our last nominee is Jeffrey Wright, who plays Thelonious Monk Ellison in American Fiction. This is his first Oscar nomination. What did you think of Jeffrey Wright's performance, and what would you pick for his Oscar scene? I really liked his performance. He's so quietly funny, or I guess the Mm -hmm. role demands that of him. And he's so good when he has to turn it on. I think the decision for him to write this work that he loathes and to be recognized for that, that unlocks something new in him, in his character, when he's on those phone calls and creating this new voice. I think that's just so fun to watch. And then on the other hand, you have, like we mentioned with Sterling K. Brown, these really intense, personal, intimate moments that you get to see the internal conflict in his character and how his relationship with his dad changed his life and scarred him in a sense. So I really like the breadth of acting that he's bringing here. And I think for my Oscar scene, it would be one of those scenes where they're on the call. And it's funny because, you know, he's on the phone with the publisher and her responses are just fueling his anger and he's getting madder and madder because he knows what she's going to say. And that is the reason that he hates what this book represents. What do you think about the performance and what would your Oscar scene be? I agree with basically everything that you just said. I think that Jeffrey Wright is an incredible actor. My favorite performance of his this year was actually in Asteroid City. He has a monologue in that that I really love. I thought he was wonderful in the French Dispatch too. He's just a perfect actor, I think, in the new school of Wes Anderson actors, like his latest version of his troupe. And I think he's great in this movie too. I feel like it's funny that this is also another like curmudgeonly teacher writer type. It feels very much like the other side of the coin of the Paul Giamatti character in the holdovers, but I think he's really funny in this part too. Um, and I think he's, he understands the tonal balance of the film as part drama and comedy. And he's able to really balance that. Well, I love also how Jeffrey Wright talked about working with Leslie Uggams who plays his mom and how he had a crush on her growing up. I thought that was really cute. (laughs) Um, but I feel like, yeah, he had a really great understanding of this, of Jefferson's screenplay, I agree with you. I really like the scenes when he's impersonating Stag, the pseudonym, like the fake author of his book. It's an understated type of comedy that I really responded to when I was watching it. But I also think he's really good at the moment in the moments when he's just taken on too much and you feel like he might burst at the seams. Like he's taking care of his mom, but he's all and he's also dealing with his brother and this new relationship that he has with Coraline and... He also has this secret that he's keeping from everyone except for his agents. 
and that kind of internal conflict of, you know, what is a black book? What's a black story? Why are certain stories, you know, prioritized and celebrated when others aren't? So for my Oscar scene, I would actually pick the scene when he fights with Coraline at the dinner table and we start to kind of scratch the surface on why all of this bothers him, but he also has to hold back from telling her the secret, which is that he wrote a book that she's reading that he doesn't like and that she actually responded to under the pseudonym. So I would go with that one. The thing is, why can't he tell her? I think that's my problem with it, is that there's no reason to keep this from her when she doesn't necessarily have to tell anybody. Yeah, like she's not a part of the literary world, right? He's just upset. He snowballs with his feelings instead of, yeah, just talking to her, which is, I think, Mm -hmm. the most frustrating part for me. But I get it in the end where they take the movie. Yeah. And I feel I, that was a similar issue that I had with the writing is that it, it works its way. And we'll talk about this with screenplay, but it works its way up to proving a particular point and then just pulls its punch, I feel. And that's mm-hmm. a moment where that happens. And I feel like I wanted in that moment for him to tell her because I thought that was actually what was going to happen. But then it doesn't. And it just continues to fester a bit longer. Yeah. So in wrapping up the category, who would your write-in vote be? My write-in vote would also be my winner of the category if you were nominated, and that is Andrew Scott for All of Us Strangers. This performance has stuck with me since I first saw it. The subtlety to it, the emotion, everything that he's holding on to is just so delicate yet powerful to me. And it's one of the, the best showcases of acting that we have and I just wish he was recognized because it's the type of performance that's so rarely celebrated. He reminded me a lot of Donald Sutherland in Ordinary People or something like that like where like someone dealing with a lot of grief and it's just this wonderful character yet he and he's processing all of these different emotions um, and I just yeah I responded to it really strongly and I wish that he was here. But the Academy sometimes likes big and loud. And this is far from big and loud. What about you? My choice would be for Franz Rogowski in Passages. I think this is a performance that is too outlandish for the Academy to nominate. But he in particular had my jaw on the floor like the entire movie. I think the choices that he makes, his physicality, his directness... And how that continuously keeps your head spinning with how he treats all of the different characters in the movie and is really just betraying everyone all the time. It's Mm -hmm. so fun to watch. And there are multiple scenes that I would choose for his Oscar scene. I love in particular when he's having lunch with Agat's parents and they're confronting him and she's defending him, but... The parents aren't wrong. And I think he plays with kind of keeping this mask up way too well throughout the entire movie. And who do you think should win? I'm going with Coleman. I think he should win. It's really a performance that when I finished the movie, I was shocked with how much I loved it. But it was because of him. And I think there's just so much heart. And he got to show so many sides of who... Rustin was that you really get to see how Coleman acts and the layers to his acting too in that way who do you think should win this is hard I keep going back and forth um 
And, you know, it could be different every day. I will be happy with either Killian Murphy or Paul Giamatti. But I think where I landed after my most recent rewatches and just thinking about the performances and how we talked about them, I think I would go with Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer. Again, I'd be happy with Paul Giamatti too. But I think with Oppenheimer... Like you mentioned, just the the amount of time that we have Killian on screen, like he's leading this ensemble. And I love how quiet this performance is and how it has this like observational quality to it and how he communicates so much with just a look and how, and this is also a testament to Jennifer Lame's editing, but you really get caught up in the feeling that he evokes in wanting to assemble this team and he's, you know, building this invention. And when they're driving away with that bomb and you see the look on Killian Murphy's face, it really says a thousand words. Like, what have we just done? Because it's now no longer in his hands, right? The person who knows this and knows what it can do the best no longer has any control over it and it's too late. I don't think that the movie is very morally complicated in the way that something like Killers of the Flower Moon feels, but I think that Killian is what brings that additional like moral complexity to Oppenheimer. It's all communicated from within his performance. All right, in our last category, maybe our favorite category, Best Actress, same precursors as our other acting categories, but our nominees are Annette Bening, Lily Gladstone, Sandra Huller, Carrie Mulligan, and Emma Stone. Our first nominee is Annette Bening. She plays Diana Nyad in Nyad. This is her fifth Oscar nomination. Previously, she was nominated for The Grifters, American Beauty, Being Julia, and The Kids Are All Right. This season, she's only won the AARP Best Actress Award, which is a great win. What do you think of this performance? How does this compare to her other nominations? And what would you pick for her Oscar scene? Well, she absolutely should have been nominated for 20th Century Women. So just looking at her nominations, I always think, oh my god, that didn't happen. How did I forget? I think I've just blocked it out that she wasn't nominated for that. I think that's her best performance. Have you seen The Grifters? I watched part of it before my interview with her just to like watch her scenes, but... I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I just watched it for the first time, maybe last week. And she's very fun in it. She's so Mm -hmm. young. It's crazy. Just like her and Angelica Houston in the same movie, Angelica Houston's pronunciation of Los Angeles. Highly recommend watching The Grifters. But as far as Nyad goes, so I'm excited for you to share more because you got to interview her for Awards Watch, which was very exciting. Um, But I love how the directors, they always thought of Annette for this part in particular, but she joked and said that she never thought she could play an athlete in her 60s. That was just never something she was going to be able to do and that she was glad that she was able to do it for this. I also, as a former competitive swimmer for many years of my life, I love that she still loves to swim And that this has become like a lifelong hobby and exercise for her that came from training for this movie. And I think that this really is a difficult role because the character is so thorny and complicated. Like She's a very abrasive person. There's a lot to it that I think could get way too over the top. But I think that Annette Bening, she does understand who Diana Nyad is. And if you have ever seen an interview with Diana Nyad or... 
you will immediately think, oh, yeah, okay, Annette Benning pretty expertly channeled that person in her performance here. My Oscar scene is actually the same scene that I picked for Jodie Foster. It's a scene when she and Bonnie are fighting in the kitchen, and you see how mean she can really be. This, like, I know what you're capable of better than you do. I know that the world wants me to sit down and shut up and wait to die. And you see, I think, how self-centered she is and how stubborn she is in that moment. She explains, I think, why it's so important and necessary for her to have to do this, to have to complete this swim. And I think it's also why audiences are really liking it, especially audiences that are close to Annette Benning's age and why it's so inspirational seeing her really tackle it. So that's what I would say for her scene. But I'm excited to hear more from you about Annette Benning because I know you love this performance. I really do, honestly. If she won for this, I would be so happy. Of all of the egregious of their time Oscar wins, this would be my favorite in the best way. Wow. I don't know. There's something, again, like rewatching it, I just fall into this slightly caricaturish version of who Nyad is, but I think there's also a difficulty in portraying a real person. But what Annette Benning does is remarkable. She's fun and determined and we see that throughout the film to a point that we truly understand why she can't let it go and why she has to achieve this thing i think part of why i love this is also just the wig that she wears and in seeing (laughs) her perform there's a lot of physicality to it it's i guess maybe it shouldn't be funny or maybe the writing's just funny and having Annette deliver these lines. But again, there's a lot of warmth in the friendship that we see between them. And that's really what's so special, apart from what Annette is bringing to this role. Yeah, I think talking to her was just a totally different experience than what you see in the movie of who she is, because she's such a warm, delightful person and gave like the best answers And it's just a great conversationalist, yeah. But I think for my scene, again, I wish it could be her swimming. Swimming through the Taj Mahal or just (laughs) with the jellyfish and her freaking out when she gets stung. But I think it has to be the call she makes to the captain apologizing about her behavior. It's Mm -hmm. maybe a more classical scene because it's softer and it's genuine and you get to see her human character really come out. And I think that's something that throughout the movie, we see her so motivated to accomplish this thing that we don't really see that. And this is one of the only times that we do. And that's why it feels really special. Our next nominee is Lily Gladstone, who plays Molly Burkhart in Killers of the Flower Moon. This is her first Oscar nomination. This season, she won the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Drama. What did you think of her performance, and what would you pick for her Oscar scene? I think to say that one likes Lily Gladstone in Killers is a big understatement. I think on rewatch... She is what really shined for me, and it was so much more horrifying to watch on rewatch because of her. 
and because of the weight that she carries with her the entire film and i think in the way that she quietly does that it's really chilling in a different way that de niro is evil that she is really just this punching bag for everything that is happening and especially when you see her health decline when they're poisoning the insulin and giving that to her and she's hanging on to life by a thread it's just tragic in the worst sense but i think in the way that she shows who molly is and was is phenomenal it's one of the best acting performances we have this year in other scenes you get to see her humor and brightness with earnest and when they start dating but i think she's always true to herself I think my scene for her would be early on when she invites Ernest to dinner and there's the storm that starts outside and I love how she just tells Ernest to put the bottle down without telling him to. She's like, oh no, we wait, just wait it out. And that's how she communicates throughout the entire movie and it's not showy, which is exactly what makes this performance stand out too. What do you think of her performance and what would you pick for her Oscar scene? I think this is such a beautiful, colossal performance, really. And I know I'm also biased because I got to talk to her and it was just so nice. Like she gave me so much time and just told me so much about her family history and everything that went into her portrayal of Molly. And she is just so humble and the way that she speaks about acting is different from anyone else like I've heard she talks so much about wellness and the connection to the body and it feels so true to her and I think that this is a different type of performance like it's really something that we're not used to seeing the academy recognize and I wrote this in my review of killers about the importance of the Scorsese voiceover and how powerful that is And when he does something that he typically does, but in a new way, we have to pay attention to why he's doing that. You know, he's a master filmmaker. He's been around for a long time and he's signaling to us that he's doing something important. And here, Lily Gladstone, she gets that voiceover. She's the one who begins, you know, at the beginning of the film, she's reading off the list of the murdered Osage. She's saying their name, their age, no investigation. And then we meet her immediately after that. And you see throughout the duration of the film, why Scorsese chose to give her that voiceover and why that's so important. And I think the way that you hang on to every word of that voiceover is so powerful, but then how that changes throughout the movie, how she communicates with each character is very different. And so much of it is in how she communicates without words. It's a quiet performance, but that doesn't mean it's any less towering than some of our big loud performances that we have because she's the centerpiece of the film I think of when she's walking through that crowd of white people by the train we get her voice over again and you just see this simmering rage and this fear within her and how she says that she's not going to let that take over but I, I love her as an actress. I think if you haven't seen Certain Women yet, watch Kelly Reichert's Certain Women. She's fabulous in that. And that's what Scorsese watched before casting her as Molly. But if I had to pick a scene, I would pick a scene near the end of the movie. Actually, her last scene 
when she sits down at that table and she says to Ernest, what did you give me? It's so heartbreaking and it's such a powerful scene for that character. Everything is just behind her eyes. And as she gets up to leave that table, there's just so much like heartbreak within that. And it's just, you feel everything. Whenever she's on screen, you also just want more. I wish that she was in all three hours plus of this movie because she's that great. But when she is on screen, she's the center. And when she's not on screen, you long for more. That's how great her performance is. Our next nominee is Sandra Uller as Sandra Voiter in Anatomy of a Fall. This is her first Oscar nomination. What do you think of her performance and what would you pick for her Oscar scene? I love this performance. I know that when we reviewed this movie, we talked about just like, oh, of course, I love this performance. She's such a complex character. This is the type of role that I just love for actresses. This is kind of the Lydia Tarr. I know we've brought her up so much today, of course, but this is the Lydia Tarr of 2023 for me. I love how she keeps and holds on to secrets or you feel like she's doing that, but you also feel that she's telling the truth the entire time. And I think that's so difficult to achieve. I love the little subtleties and how she interacts with the characters, how she flirts with people, how she holds back from others, how she manipulates different characters and how each relationship that she has and the way that she plays off of them is so significant, whether it's her son, Daniel, or the hot lawyer, like they're so he has a name, by the way, I just I call him the hot lawyer every week. Vincent, that is his name. There's so much to every interaction that makes you question who this woman is and if she did it or not. And by the end of the film, that doesn't even matter so much. And it's because of this character that Justine Trier and Arthur Harari created along with Sandra Huller. That's what you're left thinking about. You're left thinking about what's next, not what's in the past which I think is a really difficult thing to pull off. And so much of that is because of her performance. There are a couple of scenes you could choose from really for this. Uh, like more low key scene that I really like is when she realizes that Daniel doesn't want her at home near the end of the trial. And you kind of just see this look on her face like, oh no, like he's going to turn on me. Like, what did I do? Which isn't what happens, but there's so much behind that that I think is so good. But I think for her Oscar scene, I have to pick the fight with Samuel that they play in the court because it is just brutal. And when she's yelling at him, like you are not a victim, top tier acting, you could hear a pin drop in my theater. Oh, that scene is perfect. This performance is just such a powerhouse. Every single line feels like a mystery and feels more complex than the last. It's one that I loved from the very first minute and continues for two and a half hours. And it doesn't relent. We don't see her break ever. And that is why the film works is because of her performance. I think she's so good in everything she does. She has this ambivalent quality almost to other performances as well. Like in Tony Erdman, my lord, she is so good. But to see her in a leading role here is just so wonderful to see and... I loved hearing about how a lot of what she does is actually written into the script, how she switches languages and kind of plays with you. And in 
making you question if she's lying or telling the truth. But I think she balances all of that beautifully. My Oscar scene, I love the fight. I think just any actor would dream of having a scene like this. But I would choose when she's on the stand and she switches from French to English because you get to see that manipulation come out or what you think is. Again, it's like, is she or is she not? But she's like, oh, can I do this in English because this is easier for me? Fully knowing that the entire court proceedings were to be done in French. So I just love that we get to learn about her character in this way in this setting because she's otherwise so stoic but she really takes it into her own hands to try to get off in this case next up we have carrie mulligan who plays felicia montealegre in maestro this is her third oscar nomination she was previously nominated for an education and promising young woman what do you think of carrie's performance Maybe how does it stack up to the rest of her career? And what would you choose as her Oscar scene? Carrie's another special actress that we have. I love nearly everything that she does. I really love an education. I think she's great and promising young woman. And here, you know, this movie about Leonard Bernstein. But I think she is what I came out of the movie loving the most. Because I think we learn more about her and what she had to deal with. And in how she stood by him for so many years, despite what she knew or what she learned about him along the way. And I think Cooper is also just showing her in such a positive light and allowing her the space to show the struggle that she's having. And the scene that I would choose, I think, shows all of this perfectly. And it's when she's having lunch with his sister Shirley before the Ely Cathedral sequence. And she talks about this date that she had where she was really excited, but then it turns out that the guy was into someone else. And you see her spirit just slowly shatter. And I think that's what she's really good at in this performance. Not only being there for Lenny the entire time, basically, but still sticking up for herself throughout. I mean, you see, I think another good scene would be their Thanksgiving fight. But yeah, I think there's a lot to love with Carrie Mulligan here. What do you think of her performance, her nominations, and what would you pick for her Oscar scene? Yeah, I actually think this is Carrie Mulligan's best performance. Um, Nominations-wise, it's very close to... I think my favorite performance of hers is Wildlife, the Paul Dano movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's really good in that. But I love this. I think she's just luminous, so elegant. This is such a perfect 40s, 50s best actress role. We should ask Kevin Jacobson, which (laughs) how she relates. But I mean, she falls in love. She has ambitions. She has relationship Mm -hmm. issues. She gets cancer. It feels very much like a role of that time. Yeah. But you I, I love how you can really feel the spark at the beginning when they first meet. I think that scene when she first gets off the bus is just straight out of a classic Hollywood movie. I also think that she's really good at the keeping up appearances, keeping things nice and tidy for outsiders and the struggle of doing that and keeping that in all of your relationship issues within. And I think it's just, it's really sad, right? Like, because she set aside her career, 
right, for this relationship. And that's, I think, what Bradley Cooper as a director and as a writer is more interested in, which is interesting for a film about Leonard Bernstein. I think ultimately the film is still about that character in many ways, but I agree with you. I came away from it thinking much more about Carrie Mulligan and her performance. I think she really steals the movie and is pretty fantastic in it. Her accent is also perfect, amazing, transatlantic. I love it. I wish I could do it. I would speak like that all the time if I could. For her Oscar scene, I would pick the fight on Thanksgiving when Snoopy goes by the window. I feel like she just eviscerates him and you can feel her simmering rage come through. There are so many lovely notes to her performance, but I love when she really lets him have it too. Yeah, definitely. Our final nominee is Emma Stone as Bella Baxter in Poor Things. So this is her fourth Oscar nomination. She has one win for La La Land and was also nominated for Birdman and The Favorite. This season, she won the Golden Globe for Comedy or Musical and Critics' Choice. What do you think of this performance compared to her other nominations, her other works, and what would you pick for her Oscar scene? This might be controversial, but I like her more in La La Land. Oh, wow. Okay, I'll respond (laughs) in a minute. Okay. I wouldn't have given her the Oscar for La La Land, but I prefer that performance because it's a bit more grounded, I think, than this one. It's just a personal preference of style, I think, and just what I like. I mean, you know this. I tend to not like things that get into the smidge over the top range, even if it's what the movie calls for. I think, though, like, this is a fearless performance. She is on a tightrope without a net in the same way that her co-star Ryan Gosling said he felt in his performance as Ken. Um, I think that her movement is really interesting in the movie. I feel like my favorite scenes of hers are actually when she's imitating a toddler. Like, she's really good at that. I truly wonder how she pulled that off with her body because it's great. Again, I this movie really did fall apart for me on rewatch. Like, I just didn't really find a lot of there there. But that's more so with the writing. I still am interested in what she's doing as an actress. But I also think that her growth as a character and what she's doing as an actress, while it doesn't entirely make sense for me in the script or feels a bit thin there, I think her what she's doing as far as the performance goes in showing that growth and showing that trajectory of Bella is really seamless. And you don't really question it. It just happens. You're like, oh, we we have arrived. We've gotten here. And it's believable, I think, the entire time. Um, my Oscar scene for her, there are quite a few I think that you could pick from here for her, but I would go with something from the beginning, really, in the black and white sequence when she's imitating being a toddler, because I think that physical comedy works so well and a bit more for me than that dance that we get later, which I find on the more annoying side, <laughs> I will say. It's just, again, it's just a Lanthimos thing. I had the same thing with the favorite. Um, but I think that the physical comedy of the beginning of the movie, specifically, I think when she's sitting at the table with Godwin and she can't quite even speak yet, that's pretty good. And it could lean into acting school, but it doesn't. And that's important. And it's why the performance works. 
I know you thought my La La Land take was a hot one. So what do you think of her performance here? Well, the way you explained the win and the performance I'm okay with now, I, yeah, just think it's a weird win or it's like a lacking win. Well, she beat Hooper for L, which like, come on. Yeah. Or Natalie Portman for Jackie. Especially yeah. in this category, our favorite category. And that sort of a performance, which feels like who Emma Stone is anyway. Mm-hmm. That's That was my reaction. Because honestly, I think this is my favorite performance of her nominations or wins that we have. Because of who she becomes. She's becoming more than what she did with Mia in La La Land. All of that, just you know, I love La La Land too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think she's developing such a different character here that I love to find out who she was and to see her transformation. And really, the differences in her character—it's not prosthetics, it's not really makeup or hairstyling. It's all in her acting, and. Just to see those little changes, like you were saying, throughout the film, going from peeing herself in the hallway to understanding intention and having conversations and in the end, pretty much ruling society, having one, I think was just a fun adventure to go on. And yes, it's like very quirky and over the top, but I think... There's a perspective there or maybe just an acting style that Emma Stone really made her own and made her the perfect choice to play her. For my Oscar scene, I am going with the dance. I think there's some fun dialogue there that she has leading into learning how to dance. And I think there's just such an alarming honesty with the performance and also the dialogue that she gets so perfect. Okay, so to wrap up the category, who would your write-in vote be? My write-in vote is for Anjanu Ellis-Taylor in Origin. I think she is brilliant in this movie. She's smart and layered, and we've talked about grief a lot today. And I think the way in which she deals with it in her performance is heartbreaking at times, but also very enlightening. There's a scene later in the film when she's talking to Nisi Nash's character or really just like talking into the phone, which just tore me to bits. I I was a puddle during that scene, but I think there's a lot of warmth and realness that she brings to her character. This movie really blew me away. I'm sad it's not nominated anywhere, but I recommend seeing it if you can. Who would your write and vote be? I love that pick. It's a fantastic performance. My write and vote would be Kaylee Spaney for Priscilla, our Volpe Cup winner. I think that what she does with this impressionistic memory piece that Sofia Coppola creates is just wondrous. She's able to play a 14-year-old and someone in their mid-20s, sometimes in the same day, just due to the scheduling. There's just so much in that performance that I fixate on when I think of the great performances of the year, when I think about like her eyes as she's thinking about him during the school day and she just can't be bothered with her normal life or she's trapped alone at Graceland. I think it really is just 
one of the best performances of the year, and I wish that she was here. And who do you think should win? Oh, I'm, this is hard because I really would be so happy if Sandra Huller or Lily Gladstone won. I think for me, like, those two stand far above the rest in terms of just what they are delivering. I don't know if that will happen, but I am still hopeful. Um, but I think if I had to pick one, I would go with Lily Gladstone. I think that what she does in Killers of the Flower Moon is unlike what we what we see in this category. It's a different style of performance. And I also just think of what this win would mean and just imagining her winning that Oscar and what that would say to Indigenous kids and actors and you know, in how Michelle Yeoh won last year, I think that there's a chance to break barriers again with this category. And I just, I know that if she won, I would just, I would cry. I think it's like what she brings to this performance is truly remarkable. And I thought that like the first time I saw it and I still just feel that way now. What about you? I would love to see Lily win. I think my answer would be for Sandra. This movie and this performance is just like an all-timer, and mm-hmm. I think it's one that I'll be watching and talking about and debating for many years to come. I'm just still in awe of what she brought to the screen and in seeing her develop this character. My fun answer is for Annette Benning. Like I said, if she, I, if she <laughs> won, I would lose my mind because... She does deserve an Oscar. It's crazy that she hasn't won one. And Mm -hmm. for a movie like this that I will also be watching (laughs) until the end of time (laughs) (laughs) would be just so fun. I don't know. The Oscars need to be fun once in a while. They do need to be fun. So yeah, either of those wins. If Annette Bening wins the Oscar, which I think she can win SAG. Like, I think that's very much in play. But if she wins the Oscar... Please know that every single one of our listeners will be thinking of you in that moment. (laughs) Oh, my God. We'll have to have like a reaction video just in case (laughs) she wins. A special report only if Annette Bening wins. (laughs) Yes, it's going to be a special exclusive solely on Annette Bening. We'll be doing a live commentary of Nyad if that happens. (laughs) Oh my god, a live commentary of Nyad. Patreon idea. Yes. (laughs) Well, that was our Contenders episode on all four acting categories. We hope that you enjoyed that. Let us know who your picks would be for write-in votes and who you think should win the Oscar. Next week, we will be talking about Best Animated Feature, Documentary Feature, International Feature, and all three Shorts categories. So try to find those and watch all of those before next week. It'll be fun. It's always fun doing the shorts and talking about those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of material. The shorts are fun because you just never know what you're getting. So I think to see them as a collection is interesting, to say the least, sometimes. But yeah, if you liked our show, feel free to rate, review, and follow us at Oscar Wilde Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can find bonus content on our Patreon at patreon.com slash Oscar Wilde and updated nomination predictions at oscarwilde.squarespace.com. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.